0: of Centauri Health Solutions. Sophia, welcome to Sales Lead Dog.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Very excited to have you on the show. Sophia, tell me about your current role as Chief Revenue Officer and Centauri.
1: Sure, absolutely. Chief Revenue Officer, I'm responsible for all of the sales and marketing functions that happen at Centauri. And uh, Centauri as an organization was founded on the belief that we could simplify healthcare and make... um, make better healthcare accessible to more people. So as an organization, what we do is we provide revenue generating services that bolster and enhance um, the experience for the members as well as the health plan. So on the, what that means is for health plan, hospitals, health systems, and insurers, we provide services that um, help engage with members, enroll them into services like Medicare and Medicaid, um, at the at the hospital side, when patients present and they don't have any other insurance, we help them enroll into th- some so, some sort of a payment mechanism, like finding Medicare, Medicaid, third-party mm-hmm. liability. Um, we also provide services on the on the hospital side that are out-of-state Medicaid payments. So we help basically we help the hospitals and health insurance plans find additional dollars. Where they wouldn't normally find them, so it's just all revenue generating and accelerated um, payments. The other thing, the other thing that we also offer are some quality and risk adjustment programs. So those are um, those are probably making everybody's eyes just kind of uh, go roll over. But um, that's a that's the service that we're in. And
0: I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a very deep background in the healthcare space. I actually started my career in that and. Founded my first company when I was 23, focused in, in healthcare management consulting, and spent a lot of time in healthcare finance on that side as well. And uh, so it's something that's also very passionate about, obviously, because I spent so much of my career in that space. For people that may not be aware of this, th- that is a huge, huge issue for uh, for healthcare, for hospitals, You know, for someone coming in, just really helping them navigate a very complex Uh, journey, you know, trying to figure out all the whole payment side. It is a huge deal what you guys do.
1: It is. It's a, it's a very interesting space. And I would have never, if somebody had said in college, Hey, you're going to end up selling risk adjustment services to the health plan. I'll be like, you're crazy. I have no idea what that is. Right. You're absolutely right. It's a, it's an intriguing space. The more I learn about it, the more I know that there's more to learn. And you know, healthcare in the United States is a very difficult thing. Right. There's so many different facets to it. And I think all the help that we can get, um, you know, Centauri, Centauri's whole thing is that we have a we have a passion to serve and a power to solve. And so with that, armed with that, we're out there trying to help people, you know, get the benefits that they deserve.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, it's, and people need that help. That's the thing that I think until you're in that situation, you don't understand just how hard it is. And what complexity is there? So to have a company like that that's along to help and make it easier—that that's huge. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show and to talk about this. So, um, Sophia, think back over your career. Um, what are the three things that have really contributed to your success?
1: I want to say flexibility, um, a curiosity, and uh, passion. And I. I so it's funny that um, that you ask because the flexibility part has always entered in my career where I've had to flex and pivot, and make things happen when you know you just it comes at you from out of nowhere, right? And over the years, you can see, um, I can see that I've had to really be that my my phrase is be like water, and the reason why I choose that is water, when you fill it into a container, it takes the form of whatever container is there, right? So whether it's a round shape or a square shape or triangular or whatever it is, it takes on the the form of the environment that it's in. And so I truly believe that. I try to, you know, coming in um, to an organization, I really try to understand what the organization's like, what the culture's like, and, you know, try to be like water right? Fill the gaps where there needs to be, uh, where they need to be filled. Um, Be the support where I need to be the support, be the nourishment where I have to provide nourishment. And so um, that's, you know, that all comes in with flexibility. And I think, you know, passion, you really have to have a passion for something that you do. And without it, you are going to find some things missing in your life. And so in order to work the, the hours that we work and the you know, have the drive. I really think you need to be driven by passion. And so, I uh, I always say, you know, at Centauri we do well by doing good, and that's something that really I've um, I've strived to to continue to do in my life, right? Which is be happy about the things that we're doing in our work life, and then it'll it'll flow over to your to your regular life, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I think you're the first. Guest I've had on the show over fifty guests that has answered that question with flexibility, and I love that answer. Be like water. That that I'm gonna steal that. I'm just staring right now. <laughs> I'm gonna steal that. <laughs>
1: it's a, you know, it's one of those things that my dad used to say all the time, and I I think it it also harkens back to the fact that I'm actually an immigrant, Chris. I don't know if you you know, not a lot of people know that. Um, I came to the U.S. when I was two. I wasn't born here, but I feel like I'm. Pretty native, coming here when I was two. But my father, as a physician, you know, of Korean heritage, he had to really face some uphill battles, and and as I faced them too, right, as I was growing up, and even today. And one of the things that we have to always do is be flexible and accommodating. And whatever whatever gets handed to you, you have to kind of accommodate and understand and digest what's going on, and then. And then be able to accommodate the situation, right? And that all comes with being like water.
0: Oh, I love that. That is, that's, I'm a, that over dinner (laughs) today, my kids are going to hear that. (laughs) How'd you get your start in sales?
1: By accident, by accident. So by, uh, by trade, actually I grew, you know, in college, I was an English major. So it was, had nothing to do with sales had nothing to do with anything I started with, but right out of college, I got my first job was with Anderson Consulting. And so as a consultant, I was taught to do you know, programming and systems design and business requirements and things like that. And so I got into um, financial services at the time because I started off in New York and financial services then kind of led into a project with a large healthcare insurer And that project kind of spun off into another healthcare project. And pretty soon before I knew it, um, I had spent 10 years with with Anderson Consulting, which is now known as Accenture, and had found myself specializing in health insurance. And so that, uh, that came into being and was I was getting ready to make partner. Um, I found myself with two kids, right, married, uh, with a toddler and a a newborn, and trying to make partner, and it was just untenable. So, what I had to do was go into um, healthcare, and I found myself at Kaiser Permanente. So, my first job with Kaiser Permanente really gave me the back backdrop of learning Medicare and Medicaid, low-income subsidy, all of the state and federal programs, and I took that and became kind of more of a subject matter expert, and when I first got recruited out of Kaiser, that's when I started my, my kind of work in sales in 2004, so like I said, by accident, I became a subject matter expert in a certain area, was asked to go out and talk to clients about it, And um, as I was talking to clients, I found out, you know, making a connection and talking to people and being passionate about some things that you do uh, really helped to make that sale. And And then what happened was, you know, I have a natural curiosity for how things work. So as I started to dig more into, okay, well, why is why is the contract language like that why are the clients always you know coming back and asking for different things um, I, st- I started to begin negotiating my own deals right and negotiating the prices and so once I started doing that they just kind of gave me the whole thing and said hey go work on this strategic deal go sell to this particular client and then um, when my company got acquired I went into doing more of a sales kind of a, a strategic sales role. And that
0: was, that was the onset. That was the beginning of my sales profession. It always amazes me how many answers when I ask that question, how many people answer the way you did. I started by accident. I had no, that was not my path. I was never considered that. And boom, here I am. Yeah, that's great. Looking back at those early days in sales and knowing what you know now, what do you wish you had been taught back then? That would have made your journey a little bit easier.
1: Oh my goodness! If I if I knew what I know now, it would. I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is confidence. Have confidence, right? Don't back down just because somebody said no or they they kind of threw something at you. Um, back then, I think I was so. So naive and young, and when somebody said, "Oh no, 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 we don't like that pricing," I'd back down right away, right? Um, but when you know you have a good product, and when you know that your services are something needed, I think when the person says something contrary to what you're what you're saying or offering, or when they say no, that's when the selling starts, right? That's when that's when the work begins, and that's when kind of it, it starts to become, you know, all right. Well, here's what here's what I know you need. Now let's why don't you tell me what you think you need, and let's try to get to the you know to the middle ground, right? But confidence to to stand behind what I'm saying, confidence to project, and I think one of the things that I also learned is, you know, negotiating with uh, with people is definitely an art form, right? so you got to find that kind of you, you got to find the the balance between when to push and when to give and understand the the person's mentality of okay is are they looking for this or are they looking for that and so that um, i think if i could go back and tell my younger self hey be confident in what you're selling be confident in yourself and that you know what you're doing and then um, just finesse it a little bit. I think those would be the things that I would tell them, tell myself.
0: Can confidence be taught?
1: Confidence can be learned, I think. Um, I think so. Because you can take somebody who is a little bit timid and a little bit uh, shy about certain things, right? Uh, I think think you can't teach bravado, right? I, I think you can't teach certain things about somebody's personality. But I think that you can uh, at least I feel this way, that you can build up confidence. It can be built.
0: Yeah, I believe so, too. I really do. That it's um, sometimes you have to give people little nudges and things, but I do think that that's something that can be you know, not only taught, but also brought out in people. You know, sometimes people don't realize just what strength they really have inside. And sometimes that little nudge helps. Uh, Thinking back, were there any great mentors that helped guide you through that path?
1: Um, you know what, there were, there were a couple of mentors. There were, there was a, a woman that I still talk to, um, at Kaiser and, you know, what she told me was, you're hard to work with. And that was surprising. And it was, uh, it was difficult feedback for me to take at the time. She said, you're difficult. And I asked her why. And she said, cause you're constantly asking these questions and you're trying to do all this stuff and you're so, you're so. Um, you're so eager right and you're you're I want you to focus on this one thing but you're kind of always chasing after some other stuff too right and so that's part of my nature but I think that I took that to heart and I was thinking okay I've got to be more 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 focused on some of the things that I'm delivering right I can't be constantly asking questions um, of my supervisors and you know, I need to make, I need to figure out how to make myself a little bit better and easier to work with, right? What, a, what about my work style is so difficult? Um, and I think it was just from a manager's perspective, looking at me, I was probably so eager to do so many things that she just had a hard time getting her hands around, you know, just settle down and focus on this thing that I told you to do, right? Right. So, so uh-huh. that, you know, that's one thing. I, I do still talk to her.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you mentor anyone right now?
1: Well, I feel like I mentor my team and, um, you know, I try to give advice whenever they definitely when I'm asked for it, right. When it's solicited, when it's unsolicited, it's more, I mentor them in in terms of, Hey, I'm looking at the data or I'm looking at this particular thing. Right. And my thoughts were X, you know, how would you approach it? So I take kind of a, um, Socratic, right. Where I'm I'm throwing out questions and saying, Hey, what do you think about this? Right. Not giving the answer.
0: Right. Right. When you uh, made that transition from salesperson to sales leader, what was behind that transition for you?
1: So, um, I want to say it was probably subject matter expertise and a recognition that I had, um, I had knowledge in a particular service line, right? So, what really started was like my, my company, which was a family-run company, got acquired, and it was merged together with another portfolio company of our private equity firm. So, when that happened, I was um, I was thrust into an organization that already had a robust sales feature, right, and a function. And so, then again, I had to flex, and I had to be, you know, become part of another team, and in that way, I was, I was able to to tell people and show people that I had an area of expertise where you know I could manage certain things. Right, I was already a manager of a of an operational team at the time, but then was given responsibilities for for sales.
0: Yeah, was that a difficult transition to go from salesperson to sales leader?
1: Not really, not for me. Um, simply because I was already used to managing i think i think the difficult part or the the learning right the learning curve was um measurement right because for salespeople, it's not very easy in terms of measuring success other than wins right so you you look at okay well how many accounts did you have how many leads did you have how many calls did you make okay but not all successful people right or not all successful reps have to make you know 10 phone calls for one lead to get to get converted right you could do that in a shot so that is, whereas on an operational side you can you can tell by how many rid, widgets get produced right who's good who's bad who's slacking off right? right so you could have the salesperson who looks like they're slacking off all the time but then they're winning million dollar deals right, right. right. so it's a it, it that was the difficult part that was the the part though i was it was hard for me to to kind of get my hands around the first time.
0: How'd you but, figure that out?
1: Well, because I had to do a lot of research. So I had to do a lot of training and um, reading and looking at what what are common metrics, what are things that work, what are things that don't work, right? Um, you know, I went into sales methodology and taking a look at that. And then I know one of the questions you're going to ask me at the end, is going to be about CRM. Right. And so, you know, one of, one of those, um, the CRM provides a function of really tracking and it's a methodology that you follow. And so it puts standards into an area where standards are somewhat lacking.
0: Right. What's the hardest thing for you, or maybe maybe it hasn't been hard, but what, what do you think has been the hardest thing for you in terms of building a sales team as a sales leader, which is, that, I think that's one of the big, the key role of a sales leader, What's been the toughest aspect of that for you?
1: The so organizational change, right? As um, when you're building a sales team, you've got to put key people into the right places. So not only are you facing the challenges of employing the right people, choosing the right talent, right? So you've got talent management, but then on top of that, I feel like the organizational structure and the culture of the company really play a big part. So what? I find difficult is when I know I have an organizational structure I need to follow right i've got a sales team i've got a strategic account management team i've got certain people in certain roles right. And then, on top of that you've got an organizational layer with you know your CEO or your COO or some other of your peers that are throwing other things at you. And they go, oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hire these people and they're gonna do X, right? So it's a classic roles and responsibilities um, thing where you wanna make sure that uh, everybody wants to help out, right? And especially in startup organizations or organizations that are growing and merging, you find that, well, this is my role and responsibility and this is what I've outlined for the sales team and here's what we're doing on the marketing team and here's what we're doing on the account management team. Well, when you merge two organizations, right? Or three or four organizations, those are repeated everywhere and not everybody's doing it the same way, right? So oh. having to merge and combine that on top of the talent management, on top of you know calming people down about, oh, am I gonna lose my job? Am I gonna have this, right? those are the things i find most challenging is the external factor cuz i know what i want to build right but then how do we how do we synthesize that and how do we get the organization right overall the new organization to accept right and so you know a lot of a lot of times what happens is people people brought, bring in consulting advice to say oh you know there's an industry leader who has been Telling people, you know, for eons how to how to operationalize and how to structure an organization. Here you go. Here's the outside consultant coming in, telling us what well, we already know, but saying it in a third voice, right? Right. right. So then it's more digestible, um, but it's always the it's always the kind of the organizational expectation and the culture yep. that makes it that adds that extra level of difficulty in managing. I think a sales team.
0: Yeah. You know, so often I think as a, as a leader, whether you're a sales leader or any other type of leader, an organization at periods, you, you do have to do that kind of gut check of, do I have the right people in the right seats? And that can be really tough at times, but it's so important because, you know, as the organization was growing, as you're saying this, you know, what worked two years ago may not work today. And, uh, you know, so being able to take that step back and, and like you're saying, have that third party come in as, you know, that different perspective to, to reinforce, like you said, what you already know, I think that's so important. But, you know, you can't be static, you have to keep adjusting as the organization changes. And uh, so yeah, that that's a key role. Um, how do you handle those tough conversations, you know, as the organization changes, and you have to shift people maybe into diff- different roles, maybe roles they don't want? How do you prepare? or How do you handle those hard conversations?
1: Oh wow, it's, you've got to prepare for a while, right? You really have to understand what role, and it goes down for me to roles and responsibilities of what is the actual function of the, the job that I need to have done? So what does the organization need? What do I need, right? right. And, then, and then it's, do I believe that individual is truly the right person for that role? And if I do, and I want to put that person in this role and they're resistant to it, I make a case for why I feel all of the stars are aligned, right, for them in this particular role, right? Then if it's still not gonna fit, if the, the individual is still resistant, then there's gotta be a parting of ways, right? right? So you you either find that you're gonna be able to convince somebody that they're great for this role, or they're not gonna be convinced and they'll walk away. So that you know the, that's the outcome. The, the thing that I do to prepare for that though, is to really kind of list out the pros and cons, right? Not only do you have to, to make a financial argument, right? For the individual, right? How is this making sense for your finances? How does this change your compensation, right? You also have to consider, well, how is this, how is this gonna work? How, is the, how are you gonna fit organizationally? How am I positioning you for, for success? How is this role going to develop you as an individual? And how is it going to further your career?
0: Yep. No, I love that. And yeah, I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand that, you know, sometimes you may have to take a shift or a a role that you weren't considering. But in the long run, it will be the best thing for you. And and, uh, so that's great. Um, What's the best thing about your role as CRO? Oh, the best thing about
1: my role as CRO is... Probably the ability for me to set the set the track and set the vision. Uh, I really like the fact that you know when, um, and I'm very I'm very I find myself you know I would describe myself as a collaborative leader, right? So what I like is having the team members come in and come up with their ideas, and I like to watch. Um, that kind of comes to fruition right so you set the vision and then you watch the team kind of make it manifest right yeah. so it's it's uh it's part of construction right you you see something you put you put the framework together and you have a vision of what it's going to look like in the future and then you just kind of watch it grow
0: right but i love that too you know that uh, um, being an entrepreneur um, it's very similar, you know, in that, that uh, you have this vision of where you want it to go, but you can't do it on your own. You have oh. to have a team and uh, being able to get everybody aligned and, and rowing in the same direction and and to build something. it it It's a tremendous feeling. Um, what's your strategy or, or for identifying those future leaders, those future people that you want to be a sales leader What's your strategy for for picking those people out of the crowd?
1: Well, we have a couple of different constructs, right? I think that over the years, we've, we've had tools that have been uh, given, or at least I've found tools that have been put at my disposal, right? Where you have a grid and you can see who's kind of rating, rating people's strengths, weaknesses, right? Understanding their growth patterns, um, understanding rank ordering and putting them into Uh, categories of of, you know are they at the beginning level are they at a mid mid tier level or are they kind of at the peak of their career or are they kind of on their you know on the downside right Um, and so if you do that and put them in kind of a nine box right Mm -hmm. uh, you can find where your your team stands and it makes you really ask yourself the hard questions right this this person seemed like or I felt that this person was a star, right, a superstar. Now, when I put them and put them in the nine box and put them against other individuals, right, uh, and compare them against the same values, do they still show up as a superstar? Are they still, you know, is that is that individual that is absolutely knocking it out of the park, selling million dollar deals, but everybody reacts negatively to the to the way they're boasting or, you know, they go around and they, they make people, people angry because they minimalize the, the work that the other folks have done, right? I mean, that's right. not a superstar, right? right. So um, it's it's interesting for me to take tools like that, put people together on, a, on paper and weigh that out and see where the team comes in. It, you know, Intuitively, I think everybody knows who's gonna do well and who doesn't, right? But then, when you start putting putting it the metrics on paper and you start looking at them as just facts, right, facts and figures, then it the the equation comes out differently. And then I think you have to apply a combination of your intuition, combination of a little bit of psychology, right, and then and then apply the numbers and see where it all weighs out. Because I don't think that it's a, just a purely uh, mathematical equation. It can't be.
0: No, I agree. Um, But also, you know, I think a lot of people make that mistake of relying just on their gut of I think this person will make a great leader. But if you're not doing that quantitative analysis to really look at it a different a different way, you can end up tripping, you know, making a mistake tripping up. So I think that's really important. Um, Yeah. What are your key success habits that you're looking for in those future sales leaders?
1: Okay, it goes back to flexibility again right I think it's it's uh, it's the individuals that I feel have the the temperament to be thrown into something and not get shaken right so you know situation situation is you you hire a new person they come in they're used to a certain structure and they're used to kind of doing their, uh, their metrics. And I was just talking about this today, actually, is you give somebody who you interview and say, oh, great background. You're from a major you know, competitor or major health plan. You've got all this background information. Great, right? Well, you come from that type of an organization to a smaller organization where you've got less structure, less rigor, right? So let's just say somebody was was used to being um, given, you know, here's your eight hour day, here's what you're going to be measured on. We're going to tell, we're going to ask you how many calls you've done. You're going to write down how many leads you generated, and every day we're going to see how how much time you spent on the phone and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, you take that person, and then you put them in a in an environment where we don't have call timing. Right, we're not timing you on that. We don't have call timing fun- uh, functionality or technology. Um, I don't have the software to track you. I've just got a CRM. I'm asking you to kind of suss out your own leads, right? Generate your ideas. Work with marketing because they're not going to feed you stuff. that come up with your ideas. And there are some people that fail, or there's some people that really thrive in it, right? And so it's um, it's finding finding the right people that have that temperament to be able to survive through that right in in my organization we're not that huge we're a mid-sized company we're still growing we have a lot of function we have a lot of functions that need to be just done by ourselves right? right so the the structure and the so i'm not i'm not a $3 billion or $5 billion organization that can provide all of the structural supports, right. Um, that, that a sales individual might have at those larger organizations. I know because I come from there, right.
0: Right. Right.
1: But going into a startup you don't have that. And so you just have to find the people that can, that can really, it's either a sink or swim. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. It it's funny as you're talking, I'm thinking, i i used i do a lot of consulting with startups and a lot of the the people that come from like you're saying those large organizations and then they come up with this idea like hey i'm gonna build this company or whatever they're used to coming where hey i had a whole team that could do this part or i had a whole team could do that part and now they're in like you're saying a startup where it's like it's on you you're wearing that hat now you've got to go build you've got to go do the nitty-gritty that you before it was a black box because you had a whole team that just did that and handed it to you. Now you've got to do it. That is a, a shock for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
1: Funny. You reminded me of a story because um, I used to say, you are the hero that you're looking for, right? <laughs> <That's> so right. <laughs> you're, stop waiting for somebody to come riding up on a horse and save the day because you're that person. You're the one on the horse. Get on your horse and save the day. Right. Yeah. So Look in the mirror and be like, self, we're going to do this.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. I love that. Yeah. CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it?
1: It's a necessary evil.
0: <laughs> Explain.
1: It's a necessary evil. Uh, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I think we need it. Um, I firmly believe that having structure on certain things really does help a process, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, call, me, call me old school, call me grown up in a consulting organization where it was all about people processing technology, right? So mm-hmm. I really do believe that you need the confluence of people, processes, and technology, and the CRM is that technology that provides the process for the people.
0: Do you think there's too much emphasis put on CRM or not enough?
1: Wow, that's uh, I want to say that's organizationally dependent, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the CRM is only as good as the data you put in it, and the CRM is only as good as the workflows that you you utilize for it. So you can make yourself your yourself and the organization completely dependent on a CRM, which is probably not the best thing either, mm-hmm. right? Or you could pay you could be paying for a CRM and hardly ever use it, which is also not a great thing. right? right? Well ultimately what I have to use my CRM for is to make sales, right? right? I have to deliver and it has to be part of that delivery mechanism. So you know, do I hate it? do I love it? No, it's a, it's a necessary evil. Um, I think does it add additional administrative burden? Yes, absolutely, right. I mean, is it is it harder than just writing some notes on a on a piece of paper and sticking them in your brief? Absolutely. But guess what? Nobody can read the notes in your briefcase, right? right? Nobody can share ideas about the conversation that you just had with somebody if you don't log it. And so if you have to collaborate with a team and it's a team effort, right, the CRM really does become that tool to help facilitate the conversation.
0: What's your biggest struggle with CRM?
1: Adoption, user adoption.
0: Let's talk about that because that is a very common answer. When you talk to your team about CRM, what is the why you give them about CRM?
1: Yeah, it's exactly the scenario, right? Okay, you had a great conversation and you're nurturing this, this lead. Great, right? Let's just say we do get the deal. And that conversation now becomes history, okay? We didn't record it. We don't know what happened. All of a sudden, there's another opportunity with the same organization, same person, right? Uh, And you leave, right? Or, or, Or you don't leave, but you're just in a different role, right? You've moved on to make another sale and now somebody's left to do that. Well, that history, right, could be very valuable in progressing the next deal or expanding that opportunity or you know doing a cross sell. We don't have that. The CRM and the the information that you put into the CRM really facilitates the conversation of having a larger team work on different parts of a client and an account and growing that and understanding what happened to that account. Right? Mm-hmm. If we don't have that data, then it then we're going in there blind. And so that is, that is my explanation of why you need to be using the CRM and why you need to be in there. The other thing is it helps me put, put reports together to understand where, where we headed? Do we have enough? Do we have enough leads? Are we filling the funnel fast enough, right? Are we closing fast enough? What's our sales cycle? All that kind of stuff would have to be done manually.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, um, You know, I I tell people there's two things I always talk about when we're doing training or whatever, talking to uh, people about CRM. It's number one. If it's not in CRM, it didn't happen. It doesn't exist. Right. And number two, like taking your scenario of, well, you know, maybe you're not working this deal um, because you're moving on to a different role or whatever. What if you're on vacation, you know, like you're on your honeymoon for two weeks or whatever, and we have to get this deal done how are we supposed to do that if the info is not in CRM? You know, how's your team gonna support you if something happens to you and you're not available?
1: Exactly. And I've I've had some people that, you know, refuse to use it and all of a sudden, we show them the functionality that's in there and we say, look, look at the notes, look at the history, look at the fact that you can pull up a contract and, oh, by the way, you had a question about what had happened and who had spoken to this individual, click here under you know, under notes or details and their eyes light up and they go, oh, you could do all, of, yes, yes, you can do all of that yeah. and you don't have to bring your Rolodex.
0: Right. Yeah, it's like, it's just, hey, here's what, here's, you know, six months ago was the last time we talked to this person, what did we talk about? Well, like you're saying, if it's buried in a notebook somewhere, who's going to find that who's going to know that? Right. And uh, so, and I'm also a big believer in making it, um, you know, a tool, a valuable tool, not an anchor that you're dragging behind yourself, you know, that if you can create that, you know, position CRM as a tool, that's going to help you do your job, that really drives user adoption. But if if you've got an anchor, that you're dragging behind for that sales team, it's just not going to work. Well, you, know? you might
1: as well not have it. Then, exactly. Right? If, yeah. it's, if it's going to be a weight on the on the team, then you might as well not have it. You might as well go back to pen and paper.
0: Oh yeah, I agree. It's like it's like it's it's a mess. It's it's not helping anybody um, if it's weighing it down. Um, have you ever been involved with a CRM implementation that was just a train wreck? can you tell us about that
1: I don't think that there was an implementation that was a train wreck I think that there were implementations that just the scope grew and grew and grew and it was just one of those things where we kind of lost where we were going Hmm. and so that, you know, that to me is absolute disorganization, right? We had the confluence of having four different CRM instances coming through and we had you know, my legacy organization, the legacy organization that bought us, right? They bought two other companies. And so we had to merge four different sales languages per se, right? Right. Um, and then we had to ne- normalize kind of all the data and yeah. then on top of that, you know, we had other people chiming in. I want, I want to do streamlined commission calculations and I want to do a finance reporting and I want this and I want that. All of a sudden we turn around and we're like, wait a minute, what we what were we get we were supposed to have this thing implemented by X date and now we're two months late and right. we still don't have you know the core functionality fully baked. That's right. yeah, that's bad, right? Yeah. So that I think you have to you have to Start with a a firm set of business requirements, stick to those primary requirements, and then really measure your scope and and monitor the scope creep because otherwise it just, uh, it causes a lot of other issues, right? And the the thing that I've found is that knowing, thinking that you know the workflow, right? And trying to force the workflow is probably, it, it can be good and bad, right? Because you you can be very set on something that you know works, and you're like, I need it to work this way. Great. But if the other organizations that you're bringing into the company doesn't work that way, right? And you're trying to force it on them, then now you're getting into a cultural war, right? Yeah. And so then it's going to become that anchor that people carry around. It yeah. does no good for anybody, right? right? Right. So Understanding the different workflows that come through, yep. I think is really, really helpful.
0: Yeah. I'm a big believer too in in uh, even taking a step further back from the requirements and really having a clear definition of what are the strategic goals of the organization. Yep. And those become your guardrails for your CRM implementation. And and if that functionality that people are asking for, if it doesn't directly connect to a strategic goal. Then it's going to get put into a bucket, and we're going to hold on to that for some future time. But we're not tackling that now because we're focused on some driving our strategic goals. And uh, it strips the emotion out of it. I found, and uh, and then so you can really, um, you know, it's it's not a wish list anymore. It's all about hey, we're trying to move the needle here for the organization. Yeah. Um, and it just it changes the conversation.
1: It does. And you have to get in front of that conversation and make sure that people really understand because there are these, it, it gets very emotional, right? I mean, right. people get very stuck to their, to their no. own processes, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So,
0: yeah. It's amazing. I, I, we once had asked a, a group of executives to say, could you stack rank your, your strategic goals? So we know, like, you know, whatever is top three or whatever, that's everyone knows these are our top three and we've got that alignment. They couldn't do it. Um, the only one they could come up with is revenue, you know, increase in revenue, you know, that's easy, right? <laughs> but everything else was there's a lot of emotion tied to everything else, you know, and it's hard to get through that emotion sometimes. So. Well, we are coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. Sophia, it has been great listening to you talk. And I'm so happy you are able to come on the show. If people want to reach out and connect with you, uh, learn more about you, maybe learn more about Centauri, what's the best way for that to happen?
1: Sure. Send me an email at Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A dot Kim, K-I-M at Centauri, C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-H-S dot com. So that's CentauriHS dot com. Um, or uh, yeah, I think email's the best, probably.
0: That's awesome. And uh, LinkedIn as well, possibly?
1: Yep, LinkedIn. My LinkedIn profile is up there and uh, you can look for me. I am uh, so I don't think that there's a lot of Sophia kids. <laughs> I'm the only one from Centauri.
0: That's right. There you go. And it's also, if you didn't get any of that, it's in the show notes. So be sure to check out our show, show notes to get that info. And uh, again, thank you for coming on Sales Lead Dog.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure. It was nice to talk to you.
0: As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM for business. Guaranteed.